Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare. But through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100, uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 506 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes, that's his name, he, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy, and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E, text the word wine to 511-511, and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three-bottle order. So text wine to 511-511, Cameron Hughes wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Good morning, everybody. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith sitting in and honored to do so. Today, the big question, several of them, in fact. We will cover the Supreme Court. I will ask at least four questions, and I will have at least four answers with respect to the Supreme Court. Who will be the Supreme Court pick? Will the nominee be confirmed? How could Mitch McConnell be so inconsistent? And what can progressives do to block conservative judicial nominations? And to tease my four answers very briefly, answer the first question, one out of four. Second question, 
Almost certainly yes. Third question answer, there's a lesson in the World Cup. And fourth question answer, Carnegie Hall. We'll be covering that in depth in the second hour. But right now, I want to ask you what you think the big question is. Imagine there were a government of greed. Imagine there were a government whose purpose was selfishness for itself, for its leader, for its core constituents, and by that I mean donors, for the wealthiest and most economically powerful among us. Let us imagine hypothetically, or not so hypothetically, that such a government existed. What might that government do, and where would it stop? What wouldn't it do? What's something that you previously thought inconceivable that now we have to conceive of, either because it's happening or because we actually think we need to be prepared for it perhaps happening? I used to think it was somewhat inconceivable that a majority party, not in votes but in Congress, would be in favor of suppressing votes. I used to think that was somewhat inconceivable. I used to think that cutting health care benefits that people already had would be somewhat inconceivable. I used to think that going after the Voting Rights Act would be almost beyond conception. Would a government of greed do those things? Here's one that never dawned on me. It never occurred to me. It never occurred to me that any government, of greed or otherwise, would be opposed to mother's milk. And I'm talking about that, yes, before the Supreme Court. I would love your thoughts about what you think the big question is. And of course, we'll talk about the Supreme Court today. But I wanted to start out with mother's milk because now I remember Dan Quayle and I remember Murphy Brown and I remember the government with significant ties to the government now making the case that there was such a thing called family values that the government was supposed to protect. And I thought at the time, even as a much younger person, that that was an argument cloaking oppression, cloaking other arguments. But I at least thought they'd have to be mildly internally consistent as they built that movement. It never occurred to me that that movement, a government of greed or otherwise, would be opposed to mother's milk. And you say, what are you talking about, Jeff? Where's Tom Hartman? He would never make such a crazy claim. Ah, but wait, he might, because it's true. Did you see this story? There was a meeting at the World Health Assembly. There was a meeting of international delegates and a resolution to promote breastfeeding in unindustrialized nations and in nations generally, promoting the health benefits of breastfeeding. I saw an article that I thought it wasn't funny enough to be an Onion article. I assumed it was fake news, so I waited until I found four sources before I believed it and decided to pass it along. And it turned out, the article actually in Axios said the United States. I'm not going to call it the United States. I'm going to call it the Trump administration. Because I think if you ask the United States, and by that I include the fair, fine, wonderful, kind people who are giving us and sharing with us some time this morning, I believe if you were asked this question, you would not say, you would not be opposed to mother's milk. You would be in favor of breastfeeding as something that is healthy to do. Not required, not a law that would ban other kinds of ways to feed children, but just saying, hey, breastfeeding is a cool thing to do. Well, Axios said the United States, I will say the Trump administration, is blocking that resolution. And the reason why, do you know why? The reason why is because the makers of baby formula want to make sure they can sell their baby formula. And they don't even have really great health arguments. There's no even really great policy argument except for raw power. To me, the big question includes, and where I want to start, is if there were a government of greed, if selfishness and reward for the wealthiest among us were in fact the purpose, speaking hypothetically or not, how far would that government of greed go? What's something that you used to think you couldn't imagine a government doing? You couldn't imagine the current party in power doing that now seems to be happening or that we should be prepared for because it might happen. We welcome your calls. The call-in number is 202-808-9925. It's 202-808-9925.
what's your big question? And my first big question is, where would a government of greed go? Where might it not stop where you used to think it might stop? Let me say something about the Supreme Court, because I know people are champing at the bit to talk about it. And yes, by the way, it's champing, not chomping. And it's stamping grounds, not stomping grounds. Horses don't chomp on bits, and children do not stomp around on the grounds. This is something pedantic and not that relevant, but I find it mildly interesting. My four questions on the Supreme Court were, one, who will be the Supreme Court pick? Two, will the nominee be confirmed? Three, how could Mitch McConnell be so inconsistent as to build an entire blockage argument of Merrick Garland around, well, you can't do this during an election year, and then not give it a whisper during this election year? And four, what can progressives do to block conservative judicial appointments? As I said, my four quick answers are one out of four, two, almost certainly yes, three, there's a lesson in the World Cup, and four, Carnegie Hall. First, one of four. We will talk in the second hour about the four nominations, uh, the, four no the four finalists, if you will, the names that have been uh, floated and continued to stay above water. Uh, and we will talk about those in the second hour. You might have thoughts and questions about them. Answer to the second question, will they be confirmed? The reason I'm not dwelling on the names, the reason I am not treating this as the final rose ceremony of the Supreme Court bachelorette is that I think the answer to the second question, will they be confirmed, is almost certainly yes. The third, how could Mitch McConnell be so internally inconsistent? How could the governing party block and swipe away the Barack Obama appointment of Merrick Garland and not see that at all as hypocritical or internally inconsistent with, in this election year, naming somebody? And I've been thinking about the World Cup, and I think it's just like that. Or at least a little bit like this. Have you noticed in football, in international soccer, that there seem to be a lot of guys who fall over when they don't need to fall over. And when they fall over, they scream and yelp. And after they've screamed and yelped for a while, they get up and seem to be running around just fine. The NBA calls it flopping. Soccer sort of calls it flopping sometimes too. You're not supposed to do it. In fact, it's considered cheating, but it happens all the time. They break a rule all the time. They break a competitive principle all the time. No soccer player, if you were asked, would you say, well, it's an honorable football behavior to fall over and you've been touched in the box approaching a goal? No, none of them would say yes. They do it all the time. How come? Because goals are precious. As you've seen in the World Cup games, they're, get, they're finishing, and don't worry, I won't use sports metaphors that often, but the World Cup is happening all around the world right now. You've seen games 1-1, one 2-1, to 1-0 one, to one, one to as among the most common scores. If you can get that one goal, if you draw a red card and that eliminates an opponent, if you can draw that foul, that penalty in the penalty box and get a penalty kick and have, what, a 75% chance of scoring, 80% chance of scoring, that one goal could be the whole thing. And therefore, players will cheat. They will writhe around on the ground when they're not that injured. They will fall when they've barely been touched. They will do things that do not comport with their own competitive values or with the rules of the game because they know that goal is precious. So too is a Supreme Court seat. People live longer now than they did when the Constitution was drafted, 20 years longer. Now we can anticipate a Supreme Court justice working into their 80s. Meanwhile, movement conservatives, and more than that, have now recognized that you don't have to wait till somebody's in their 60s to appoint them. If you appoint someone in their late 40s and they keep at it until their 80s, you have 30 or 40 years of a goal, of a precious asset. And so it's worth it to the person who is not playing a game for principle, is not playing a game for the purpose of the rules, but in fact only for victory, only for power. It is worth it to them to violate those rules, to violate those norms at the very least, to violate their own competitive principles. Because now 
Donald Trump is going to have two nominations in less than two years, as many as Barack Obama had in eight. Well, he had three, but only got two to stick. And it's very precious. What can progressives do to block judicial appointments? I said the answer was Carnegie Hall. What did I mean? Old joke. Sir, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Answer, practice, practice, practice. How do you block a Supreme Court appointment? You start early. You win elections. You build a movement. You identify after Brown versus Board of Education that the court needs to change, and you build a movement to that. The reason I'm not starting only with analysis of who is going to be picked and whether or not they are going to get confirmed is I believe they will be confirmed. And I believe whomever it is appointed is going to be the justice you hope, or I suspect if you're a listener to this program, you fear will be confirmed. And that most of that court watching happening right now is a cat chasing a laser, is a gnat having a lifespan of a winter's day and thinking the world is always cold and that we need to take a long view. We're going to come back in just a minute. And when we're back, I want to hear your big question. If you want to talk about Supreme Court, that's fine, but we got calls coming in. We're going to hear from Ann on Mother's Milk and others. This is the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff. This is the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith. Big question today, not just Supreme Court, but what limits would a government of greed go past? What things that you previously thought were limits would a government of greed dismiss entirely? For instance, we're talking about mother's milk. And so is Anne from Albuquerque. Anne, can you hear me? I can hear you. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so yes, we're talking about mother's milk. And I told the person who took my call, I said, can I use the name of a company? And she said, yes. I have been boycotting Nestle ever since my children, who both of whom I nursed, were babies decades ago. Because they would, they would introduce women who had babies in third world countries to their formula. And the problem is that when you add a spoonful of white powder to a bottle of water, and who knows where the water came from out of some stream that probably Mm. wasn't clean, and you look at it and you think, well, this looks good, so we can probably use less. Babies were dying of malnutrition because they used less and less formula to make that white liquid And it wasn't enough to keep the babies alive. And I always thought that they should have helped the women eat properly so they could nurse their babies. Nursing babies is very important, as the previous person said, the antibodies and all that sort of thing. Also, the connection you have with the baby as you nurse it. And I still do not use Nestle products, and both my children are grown up and happy and doing well. But one day, recently, I was in the grocery store, and I saw a bag of dark chocolate-covered raisins. And I love both raisins and dark chocolate, so I pulled it off Me the too. shelf, bought it. It turned out to be a Nestle product. I threw it away. I, get, I now get my chocolate-covered raisins at a co-op store, at an employee-owned yeah. store. I'm not going to plug it, but that's where I... But that's what, well, maybe I can't. Well, no, it's probably not in your town anyway. It's local. I, I, like, I like me some dark chocolate. I actually try, I get, try to get the sugar-free ones. Uh, raisins aren't sugar-free, but I try to get the chocolate. Appreciate your call, Ann. Does it, uh, let me ask this, though, Ann. Does it surprise you? Does it surprise you that this administration blocked the resolution in favor of mother's milk? Or is it par for the course? It's par for the course, but I, it, it's an issue that I had really hope would not come up again. But it doesn't surprise me. And thanks for calling. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye. You have a good day. Today at 9 p.m. Eastern, the president of these United States, or we can call him the current occupant of the White House, is expected to make his pick 
for the Supreme Court. I am saying that while the Supreme Court is of enormous consequence and while progressive voters need to rally in greater magnitude for the long term because of it, which person he picks is of less consequence than the media will treat it because this goal has already been scored. This battle has already been won. This building has been built. This flower has been planted and it was planted decades ago. And what we have to do here this morning, this afternoon on the East Coast, is we have to plant flowers that will last for more than a day or two. This is The Tom Show. I'm Jeff. Hey, do you brush with an electric toothbrush or have you wanted to? If you're using one of the one of the older, bigger, bulkier, you know, and some of them you know, are so aggressive they can even damage your mouth, uh, tooth, electric toothbrushes, uh, or if you've never th- used an electric toothbrush, I want you to pay attention. There's a new electric toothbrush. Time Magazine called it the invention of the year, right? Uh, it's called Quip, Q-U-I-P. It's slim. It's lightweight. It's about the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got a, you know, a little AAA battery inside that powers it and powers it for months at a time uh, be, between changes. And it, it does a really great job. It aggressively cleans your teeth, but it does so in a way that's good for your gums and good for your teeth. It's a, the perfect two-minute clean. So check this thing out. And it's great for traveling. It comes with a little tube that you can drop it in to travel because, like I said, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush, much, much smaller than your, than your big electric toothbrushes. And you can find out all about it at getquip.com slash Tom. That's G-E-T, getquip, Q-U-I-P, dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom for more information. It's only 25 bucks, and they send you the refills, the, the brush heads that you're supposed to replace every three months. Every three months, they'll send those to you for only $5 free shipping. It's an amazing deal. Getquip.com slash Tom. I'm Jefferson Smith. This is the Tom Hartman program. We've got callers, and thank you for being among them. Want to hear from Brenda the framing question? I know everybody's talking about the Supreme Court. I think I know that whoever's nominated is going to get confirmed, and if they don't, it's going to motivate conservative voters to turn out in an election they were otherwise not that enthused because Donald Trump is motivating to some fraction, but embarrassing to another fraction. So that to me is not the most interesting question. To me, it is a really interesting question. How do we understand the current government and how do we build a movement so that a war on democracy is not a loss for democracy? What are the things that are happening today that are not just interesting to pay attention to from time to time, but that help us in a common moral theme, a common cause and purpose that can help us motivate and inspire a movement of sufficient movement and duration to beat back a war on democracy? And to me, I think this one was a mistake. I think going after mother's milk was a mistake. I don't think it was merely a moral mistake. Those are happening all the time. I think it was also a strategic mistake. And shout out to the New York Times for finding the story. Because, by the way, the blocking of the mother's milk resolution didn't just happen a few days ago. It happened in the spring. The story came out now. So shout out to them. But I think it was a tactical and strategic mistake. Because it makes plain, it makes so very plain... That support for family is not the idea. Oppression of women might occasionally be the governing idea of the governing party. But it is not support for family or family health. But if you're making a case that it is a government of greed, blocking breastfeeding, blocking a resolution to encourage it, is the kind of thing that starts stripping away the veneer. I think it was a mistake. Not only a moral mistake, but a strategic mistake. Want to hear from Brenda from Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Brenda. Brenda, you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. 
Okay. Um, my point is, um, I had a daughter. I had a difficult pregnancy. The doctor literally told me if I could breastfeed her, it would be better for me, healthier for me to get my body back into shape to help with my uterus. It was good for my daughter. Um, I know that sometimes it's not possible, and there's no guilt trip on women who cannot do this. But the point is, again, who's making the choice? They're now at the point where they're making the choice of whether we breastfeed our children or where we don't. Yeah. And, 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 and that's just a line of, you know, it's not your body, it's a corporation's body, because now they're a person, or it's a Supreme Court justice body. And women's health care is going down in this country. More women are dying in childbirth, more infant mortality. Um, so we're, we're, there are no family values, because if there were, they would not be doing this, period. It, 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 does it seem to you, and I, and I appreciate you making the connection, and the connection is not lost on me either, between this decision uh, and the Supreme Court decision and what we fear is at stake in that Supreme Court decision. Does it, is it too simplistic to say that when the term family values was coined, what it actually was meant to mean was a continuation of patriarchal power? Yes, because the health is being taken away for all of us. And Christ said, you know, do unto others of you, do unto me. This is not Christianity. This is, this is the march to a plutocracy. It is a march that's whatever before is best for the corporation, the people's health. That's nothing. Their well-being. Nothing overall. What they breathe. That doesn't matter. <coughs> Sorry. I have allergies from what I breathe. <laughs> well, Brenda, uh, we, point, we, right? uh, we appreciate your call. I don't want to cut you off, but, you, you, it, but if you're done... Go have a glass of water, and thank you so much for calling in. You're welcome. Have a good day. You thank too. You. Krista from Georgia. There's two from Georgia. I don't, I don't know if you knew our previous caller. Maybe you were friends. Good, <laughs> no, good. I don't know her. <laughs> Hello, Krista. <laughs> Hi. Good evening. Good, well, good morning, Jeff. Um, I liked your analogy uh, comparing sports to the Republican Party as far as uh, the, 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 the pick for the Supreme Court. Um, what I need to ask is, why do you think the Democrats are not the same way? And I'm not saying that they should cheat, but what I'm saying is, why are they not as as uh, hungry for the goal, it seems, as the Republicans are and willing to do whatever it takes? Uh, they're always the first to compromise. Uh, they're always the first to uh, just bow down and just, you know, roll over. Why do you think this is? All right. I'm so very glad you asked that question. I think the answer to that question is adjacent to, overlapping with, might be tied for the most important strategic and politically moral question that we face. Sort of, why does it seem like Democrats are nicer and not willing to, you know, be crafty all the time? Uh, yeah. I, I think they are crafty a lot of the time, but I don't think your impression is inaccurate. I share your impression at least. Uh, I have at least three responses. The first is, it's not two sides. The idea that a discussion of democracy is merely two sides is itself a tool of oppression. It is handy because the majority of human beings are born with two hands and two legs and two eyes and two halves of their brain, and it's easy to divide things into two. But it's actually not how the world works. So I think when we think about it as two sides, we misunderstand what's going on. And I think the media has misunderstood that as well. What has happened is since Brown versus Board of Education, and even prior to that, there has been a movement. Before that, it was just power. It was just the power of property, the power of wealth, the patriarchy writ large. After Brown versus Board of Education, and, and I'll plug it again, Democracy in Chains tells the story aptly. A movement was fomented that realized, uh-oh, the Constitution could be used as a tool to make sure democracy happens. We don't want democracy to happen, not if it were to interfere with patriarchal property power. Mm. So we better stop that. 
and they built a movement and the Koch brothers funded it. And that's not creating a scary story. That's what happened. And so it wasn't two sides. They, and they realized as their top objective, their top strategic victory, the goal they needed to get was to take over the Supreme Court. And so it wasn't there was one side that wanted the Supreme or two sides that each wanted the Supreme Court and they were kind of fighting and one was willing to fight mean. One another way of looking at it was there was a movement in the country that overcame, took over the Republican Party, and it had a high priority in taking over the Supreme Court, so they built the Federalist Society. There wasn't uh, there wasn't an alternative to it for decades. Uh, and the uh, and and what's happening today is the clear resolution, the clear victory of that movement, a lot that was cast 50 years ago. My other answer is that the movements are different. It is not, to me, the big fights that are going on are not right versus left. Again, I think that's a tool of oppression. Uh, I, I, that's not to me to say people should not join the largest or second largest political party. That could be a wonderful and wonderfully brilliant way to coalesce, to try to gain power to fight oppression. But if we shouldn't let the way we control our government control our minds. The, well, the Democrats, go ahead. the, the Re- Republicans do it. I mean, the Republicans basically give their followers a choice. It's either, you know, it's either yes or no. Uh, Democrats, I believe, just get too into it to where they're given too many choices. And then you can't excellent point. the people that you need to corral to fight with you. It's, 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 it's an excellent point. And let me say, as I disassemble, I hope by the end of the show, I also assemble because ultimately you got to build a majority that can govern. And unless you change the system of governance, you have to be able to do that. And you have to be able to make things clear enough so that a big enough team can win and just say, yes, we're together. But let me, let me dwell on this for another moment. The, I, I view a more important, a better way of understanding the battle that we face as property versus democracy. Uh, this, in fact, is the battle that the, the better angels won in the Revolutionary War, that the better angels won in the Civil War, that the better angels won in the Civil Rights Movement, that the, uh, and, and that one team, it's not just right versus left, it's one team is fighting for the preservation of long-duration property power. And for them... The, you know, all this democratic, small d, mumbo jumbo principles of how decisions could be made. Well, those are tools to be used or to be cast aside because the objective is the holding of power. The other, another team, these are not the only two teams, but another team cares about the principles of the process. Think in fact, like for me, there's a lot of things I'm not sure of. One of the only things I'm pretty sure of is the people are supposed to be in charge. And because I hold that as a first principle, it means I can be open to persuasion. That is good news. It also can be weak news. It also can make me uh, not as strident. Uh, it, can make it, it can make me seem mealy-mouthed from time to time if I consider viewpoints, because I think one of the things we're supposed to do is consider viewpoints. And this is why I don't think we should think of it as merely binary, but if we're going to say two sides, we've got to fight for democracy. That said, democracy is a powerful argument. The reason I think we can win over time is because I think the idea that the people are supposed to be in charge is every bit as powerful as any other argument one can offer. And it can start exposing this idea that power of property is something called freedom. No, no, freedom is a different thing. Freedom is the ability to do stuff, not just control other people doing stuff because you own stuff. So those are a couple answers because I don't think it's just two sides. It, the press frames it as two sides because one side has been more, if you want to speak a little more, you know, a, a little less head in the clouds, I'll try to be uh, maybe more useful in that way, is because Republicans have had as a higher and more fundamental commitment to take over the courts than Democrats have. And, uh, and, wow. and it, it is basically that, that symbol. I did not want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean Democratic leadership. I mean Democratic media, I mean, of which there is precious little. And don't say MSNBC because I don't think that's what it is. It is not the contraposite to Fox News. It is better than Fox News, but it's not the flip side. Uh, wow. it, is, it is the Heritage Foundation, the Federal Society. There has been a movement that has motivated the courts. It's one of the most important reasons Donald Trump was elected. It was a reason that people who considered themselves Christian we're willing to go to the polls and encourage other people to go to the polls to elect somebody who so obviously and decidedly was not one because they knew that they were going to get their tax cuts and they knew they were going to get their justices. And if it meant being in cahoots with a foreign adversary, it was worth it because they've been working at it for 40 years and they had no choice. 
Just like a, a successful movie has no choice but to make a, 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 a make a sequel because the economics require it, the Republicans were required to elect Donald Trump because he was going to get them their tax cuts and he was going to get them their justices. I hope that was at least mildly useful. I hope not just too much of a rant. <laughs> no, thank you. It was very useful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Krista. Uh, we got time for one more call right now. Ben has been waiting patiently in Milwaukee. Hey, Ben. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I want to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court. Go ahead. Um, I just want to start. Thurgood, Thurgood Marshall, the greatest American lawyer and Supreme Court justice ever. Here's what he had to say about the law and interpreting the law. You do what you think is right and let the law catch up. Now, people think this means like, you know, we just do whatever we want, but that's that's not what it is. The, the Democrats... When they appoint justices, they've got to start appointing people like Thurgood Marshall, people who are actually going to go out there and support what is right and not listen to all the little minutia that, you know, is used to get rulings that say that public sector unions are worthless or any of of those other uh, insane rulings that we have. The other thing is, if Democrats want to start appointing people to to the Supreme Court, they've got to get the edge in the Senate. D.C., Puerto Rico, those can both become states. There's four Democratic senators right there. There's a... Your point, we're about to go to break, your point is really important, that in 2040... Uh, the I, I think 30% of the country is going to control 70% of the Supreme Court seats. I think that's the right ratio, just about that. This is the Tom Hartman Show. Thanks for your calls. Thanks for listening. We're going to be back in a sec. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Alan Dershowitz sucks. I, I'm not going to talk about that. I just needed to say it. The guy sucks. I, I, I went to the law school where he taught. He's now emeritus. And that dude, I don't know what happened to him. All right, I'm moving on. Starting again. I'm thinking right now of Jacob Reese. Jacob Reese, who became a little more famous because of Greg Popovich. But Jacob Reese, who was a Danish immigrant, who knew what it was to be poor, who's a journalist and activist in the progressive era, and he took on his battle with the slums. And he took photograph after photograph after photograph after photograph of tenements and people living in squalid conditions. He gave lecture after lecture after lecture with his pictures until finally he could write a magazine article, until finally he could write his life's defining work, How the Other Half Lives, taking the title from Francois Rabelais, One Half of the World Does Not Know How the Other Half Lives. And Jacob Rees said the following thing and offered to history the following quote, When nothing seems to help, I go look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two, and I will know it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before. To me, when I look at the Supreme Court appointment that is going to happen tonight, and we're going to talk about it in this hour, I think not only of this moment, but also of this era of not only what will happen over the next 24 hours, over the next 24 days, but also what will happen over the next 24 years. And that how we have to gird ourselves for that long pursuit, for that long game, for that stone cutting, for that photograph after photograph after photograph, for that presentation after presentation, that lecture after lecture, that magazine article, that tweet, that conversation with a family member or a friend. Because we can no longer rest upon the laurels that were grown by the civil rights movement or the anti-war movement or the progressive movement or or the New Deal. We have to build new movements. And so why open not only with Supreme Court this morning, but with the breastfeeding story, because it lays so bare what happens 
when there is a government based on greed. And I come from my own place of privilege when I analyze it. And thank you to the wonders of our listening and viewing community. They brought up another point that I was just going to say, but I got to give our listeners and viewers the credit for it. That blocking Ecuador's move to have international embracing of promoting breastfeeding and health of mother's milk in nations across the world, that the United States government, that the Trump government, that this government of greed blocking that is a, an ancestor, if you will, is a continuation of an exercise of colonialism, is understanding as our relationship with other nations, not a relationship of nurture, not even and not a relationship of peer, not even a relationship of humanity, but a relationship of plunder, a relationship of natural resource extraction for the financial benefit of someone who does not live there. And I say this as someone who has benefited from, in mostly in ways that I'm not aware, because I'd probably rather not be aware as I don my clothes and drive my car and live in my house. But I say this as someone who has benefited from that colonialism. And it is, and I want to appreciate and say thank you for that reminder. And as we think about what stone are we cutting, what rock are we hammering, what thing are we doing day after day after day so that finally we might be able to mix metaphors and bend an arc of history towards justice, what is that thing that we are working towards? We have on the line waiting someone who is a stonecutter herself. Right now she is working on the Supreme Court, and we are going to talk to her about that and ask some of your questions and some of mine. Her name is Anisha Singh. She is a senior organizing director for Generation Progress, the youth engagement arm for CAP Center of American Progress. Anisha Singh, hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Is there, Anisha, I don't want to say is there hope, because I think there is long-term hope. Do you, do you think there is a meaningful probability that Donald Trump's Supreme Court justice nominee will not be confirmed? And if you think there's a meaningful probability, what is the pathway? Yes, there definitely is. And I think it's so important for everyone listening in to realize that this is still something we can fight. Um, There are two things that are on the chopping block here if Trump's nominee is confirmed. We know this. Roe will be overturned. We know the ACA will also be dismantled in the courts. And I think remembering these two things and reminding senators of these two things will help us succeed. Uh, We have two what, what people call moderate Republicans, but basically in individuals on the Republican side who are uh, pro-choice. We have Collins and Murkowski who are wavering here, and we need to remind them of how important the Roe decision is to everyday people, but also that we cannot trust anything that this nominee says, anything on this nominee's record, or anything Trump is saying, because he made it so clear on the campaign trail that he was going to choose individuals for this seat that we're going to pass his litmus test that they would overturn Roe. Um, so it's important for all of us to be galvanizing against uh, around these two uh, senators, because if we have their vote, we could block this. We also need to make sure our own Democrats in the Senate are holding their ground. There are some who live in red states that are wavering right now. We need to remind them that their uh, their constituents care about the ACA. We saw how the people galvanized around the ACA when it was going to be dismantled uh, once before last year. And we need to be having that same energy here as well. It's so important for our movement and for our base to galvanize around this just as hard as they did then, as if their lives are on the line, because this is um, about our lives. This is about the next 40, 50 years. This is about uh, you know whether or not we want Trump to have a say in what's happening to us decades from now. I hugely appreciate that. And, and appreciate its strategic uh, helpfulness. That because, because what I was thinking about this morning, and I hadn't connected the dots as well as you have, but I was thinking about this morning, is like, okay, well, all of the work that you do to get Murkowski and Collins to say Roe is going away might make it harder for Donnelly and Manchin, Donnelly and Indiana, yes, Manchin in West Virginia, yes, uh, yeah. who, who are, you know, uh, anti-abortion Democrats to say, to, to hop on that bus. But you're saying something different. You're saying that 
that healthcare is also on the line and people in West Virginia and Indiana get sick too. Uh, what are, and help connect those dots. Is it because Kennedy was, Kennedy was the deciding fifth vote on, on upholding the ACA? It's, it's mostly because this nominee, whoever it is, we know are going to be much more right than Kennedy. And that's saying something because Kennedy himself was very yeah. much voting with the conservative side for most things. I mean, he was really good on marriage equality and a few things here and there. But but because of the way that he did add to the debate that was also taking place within the justices, we know that whoever this replacement will be that is being presented before us uh, tonight is going to is going to be completely to the right of that and was going to change that entire dynamic. And we're we're going to have less of um, thoughtfulness about what the people need and more uh, about what corporations want um, to be to be the, the the center of the debate that happens between these justices when they're deciding these cases. Um, so whether or not you you agree with uh, where you stand on uh, abortion, health care is something that everyone cares about. And even though we didn't have the majority last year either, we were still able to stop what the Republicans were trying to do because, like you said, everyone can understand how health care impacts them, and everyone was showing up at town halls. And we just have to have that same kind of passion when people are calling their senators and stopping by their offices. One thing I will say is senators always say this, especially Democratic senators, that they get hundreds of calls from the conservative side on where they stand on different nominees that are going to be um, nominated or confirmed for our judiciary. But they only get a handful from the progressive side, and that's because we've always been terrible at um, galvanizing around the court. So when they do get calls from our side, they are you know, taken aback, and they're paying attention, and they're listening in on what we need and what we want. So it's so important that everyone really takes this moment. This is the week to be calling your senator's office. I, I appreciate that. I want to. I want to respond to it, and I want to. And I want to. I want permission to ask a favor. Uh, the and, and first, for the reason I appreciate it is, I was thinking, even as I was communicating on air this morning, that well, the jig looks up. It looks like it's we're going to lose this one, and the uh, and and so okay, well, let's live to fight another day. But something else, as I was listening to you, occurred to me, or I, you know, basically just parroting what you said, and maybe ta- you know, maybe uh, hopefully helping to amplify it, is that. You are helping people, and we need to help people get in the practice of caring about the courts. That right. that that there is a chance that that e- whatever percentage you said that there is a chance that that every Democrat will hold together, and that Murkowski and Collins would hold until the next election. And even though that would motivate uh, the Christian right to vote in the coming election, that the that there seems to probably some strate- long-term strategic value in progressives recognizing how important the courts are and not thinking, oh, that's just something that's going to happen that other people are going to work on, but that we need to organize around. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think, I think we've tried to have that messaging stick uh, with the American people before. When there was a the last Supreme Court uh, vacancy um, that was supposed to be Merrick Garland's, and then there was obstruction by uh, Mitch McConnell and his uh, GOP Senate um, then we saw with Gorsuch, we tried to get uh, you know the progressive side to care as much, and I, and I think it was difficult because with our party, it's always uh, you know there's so much so many attacks happening every single day, yep. and we're feeling that attack every single day that it's sometimes hard to see that long term, and we're being attacked on so many different issues. So even capacity wise, it's hard. Um, but I think what's happened in the last two years that Trump has been in office is that people are seeing how the courts have been saving us. Right. Um, He has put out executive order after executive order that are damaging. Um, And then, you know, we see the the lower court judge blocks a travel ban. The lower court judge blocks transgender ban. Just two weeks ago, lower court judge gives tells this administration, stop separating families and you have two weeks to reunite them. Yeah. And 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 humanities majors still read about the Warren Court and think of the Supreme Court as a thing that sometimes is ahead of justice is is fighting against oppression. Even majoritarian power isn't. Right. And so we're seeing this on the lower courts. And yet, I don't know if people know this, there are hundreds of vacancies that that yep. Trump got on the lower courts, too, that he has been filling with these vile, vile uh, uh, nominees. And they've been confirmed because, again, you know, Mitch McConnell Senate. Um, so we've been seeing that. Plug, uh, on plug a website sides. before break, Anisha. OK. Plug your website. Oh, genprogress.org. Uh, Hang you. with us for a minute. Anisha Singh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. You know,
know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high-tech, in fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable, it is high-tech, and yes, I'll say it, it is sexy. This chair is extraordinary, and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's gonna help your posture. And you know, if you're not in pain and, you're, and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is gonna work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. A lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith. I'm reminded again of Jacob Rees. When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at his rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two, and I will know it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before. I have made the case here when I have had the honor of sitting in that the exercise right now, that the political moment is not a momentary one, the exercise right now will require exercise because it will require endurance and stamina, that it is both a sprint and a marathon. Somebody who is working on this, who is hammering away at the rock, who is working both to sprint and a marathon is going to be our guest in just a moment. I've also made the case when I have had the honor of sitting in that victories are more likely to come at the local level. I have felt this way since 2004. Barack Obama surprised me. When I looked at the array of power that had been built up, it seemed to me that we were 20 to 40 years away from having a sufficiently organized and strong progressive movement in this country. Of course, hard to predict with the current rate and rapidity of change in the social media era and with how de demography is changing. But nonetheless, it is clear again that local victories are critically important. Women's suffrage didn't happen because Congress said so. It happened because state by state, we bent the arc of the moral universe towards justice. Nick Abraham is joining us right now. I'm not going to steal his thunder. They are working on a state slash local initiative to do something about one of the biggest challenges facing our world and our country. Nick, thanks for joining us. What are you working on? Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, here in Washington, we're working on... Uh, Washington State, that is. Yeah, Washington State. Um, you know, out here in the Northwest, we were working on something that's uh, prehistoric. Uh, it is going to be the first pollution fee in the country uh, to make it to the ballot, and we hope will be the first uh, carbon price in the entire country to uh, pass by a vote of the people. So explain. You put a price on carbon... And how much is that price? Give us just the quickest details, because most of the listeners aren't in Washington State, but I want to open up the discussion about how people can act, can you know, sort of live the bumper sticker of thinking big picture and living locally, thinking globally and acting where they are. Absolutely. And that's, that's exactly what, what our mentality is, is trying to do what we can in Washington to uh, reduce pollution. So, um, you know, our, our price starts at $15 a ton. Uh, 
Um, and, it's, and it's only charged to the largest polluters in Washington State. Uh, you know, this is folks like the oil industry, uh, utilities that haven't yet switched over clean energy because, you know, we really feel that they are the ones who have caused the most harm to people, and we think they should be the ones paying the cost. So, so my policy um, nerd, so my policy nerd question is, how much, well, this one is not policy nerd, the question is, how much will it raise gas and energy prices, and how do, you, how do you respond to the inevitable critique that your opponents will use, which is, oh, yeah, you call yourself progressive, but you're going to raise prices on poor people? Yeah, no, and I, I, love, I love a good wonky question like that. Um, yeah, so, you know, we, we are charging this to the largest pillars. It's not going to be charged to individuals. You know, we uh, felt really strongly we wanted to structure the price that way. Um, you know, we we know that uh, the oil industry is going to try and pass these costs down, but, um, you know, they are not going to be able to – they're, they're going to have to take on a lot of this burden, and we know the only way we're going to be able to put those costs on, on the folks that are causing the most harm is if we build out alternatives to what the oil industry is trying to do. You know, right now um, they have a complete monopoly on where we get our energy. So if we can build out a lot of these alternatives, which is what this initiative does, we're going to be able to – put those costs back on uh, the industries that are causing the most harm and build out cleaner energy, cleaner communities for more people. And how do you do that? So you, so you, put, you impose the price, $15 a ton, I think you said, on yep. the largest polluting industries, for instance, uh, major utilities to encourage them not to use coal and to use more renewables, and on, on oil and gas to encourage them to uh, internalize their costs so people use other, uh, other means, potentially. What are the... Uh, and then what do you spend the money on? It goes directly to renewable energy alternative sources. You send it back in little checks like Alaska does. What do you use the money for? Right. So, you know, that, that's what's pretty unique about our approach. You know, you know, the price is one part of it, but the really important piece, the one that we're the most excited about, is where these investments are going. You know, 70% of the this is going to create about a billion dollars a year, uh, and we're going to put that towards transitioning communities to clean energy. So that's Yes, it's going to mean putting money into renewable energy, but it's also going to be things like home retrofits for energy efficiency. It's going to be putting money back into our natural resources, which is such a huge part of our uh, our state's economy in the Northwest. Um, you know, and that's going to be stuff like healthier forests, because we know that's such a good way to clean the air and reduce pollution is investing in those, those natural systems that are doing it on their own. Uh, and we can put a lot of money back into our state um, and be able to, invest in the things we know are making us uh, stronger for the long term. Who's paying for the ballot initiative? Uh, you know, our co- we have the largest coalition in our state's history. Um, you know, we have folks like the, the largest labor unions in Washington are all behind us, uh, of course, environmental groups, but then folks like uh, community of color advocates, health professionals. Uh, you know, we have um, the largest faith groups in Washington uh, who are coming on board with our organization. So we have an incredibly diverse array of organizations that are supporting us, um, and the funding for this is coming from all sorts of different groups amongst those uh, organizations. What are your chances? So I was, I, I'm really glad you spent this time and, and are, are talking to us about it, because I do, as I introduce the segment, I do think that the most inspiring activities are those that not only are aiming our pea shooters at the largest elephant, but also accomplishing uh, local objectives and modeling good policy. What are right. the what are your chances of winning? So you don't have to win at Congress. That gives you a better chance. You decided to go to the ballot in Washington State. Washington State is a purple state leaning blue or a blue state leaning purple. What are your chances of winning? Yeah, I think that's a really good description of our politics out here. Um, you know, we feel really good about this. You know, we've seen that uh, large polls in our state show that people care about pollution. They know it's a problem. It's something that they are, are going to tackle. You know, we, we've had some good polling. I can't tell you all the details of it yet, but um, we are well above water, and we feel really strongly that we have a good shot at this this year. Unfortunately, the oil industry we know is already gearing up against us. They are, uh, you know, all the largest Oil industry folks have, have already pledged money to battle our initiative. Shell Oil, BP, Exxon, all the famous names there have all lined up together around a single pack to come against us. But, um, you know, we know we have more, more people on our side always in these battles. So the fact that we have this, diverse, this diversity of organizations that are supporting us, this many organizations that are marching in line, all on the same initiative, all towards the same goal, we know if we all stand together, we can be able to outbeat them. 
The in in and I'm from Oregon State, just to the south. For people around the country who you know have about as much awareness of the Pacific Northwest as you and I might be able to yeah. map every state in the Midwest. Uh, the uh, although I'm getting better. Uh, when you uh, it, w w well in our state, when we try to do a tobacco tax, uh, we try to do a, a, a GMO, not even not even prohibiting or anything, just labeling. Right. Uh, the industry forces came in and made those at their time, each, I think, I know the tobacco was, I think also the GMO was the most expensive ballot initiatives on one side ever and, and ended yeah. them. The, uh, uh, what kind of money you think you're up against? What's the most expensive ballot initiative that has happened in Washington? What kind of money you think you can raise? I heard you make the point, well, we might not win in money, but win in people. But talk a little yeah. bit about the money before we break. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we are getting funding from a lot of the organizations that have been supporting this that I mentioned before, labor unions, uh, you know, the environmental folks, um, a lot of community color organizations that are, that are raising um, in-kind donations, you know, from going out and knocking on doors, supporting us. So, um, you know, a lot of it is not going to come in dollars and cents. It's going to come in boots on the ground. And that's, you know, that, that is a value that we, that they just can't quantify. You know, that they will, they will always be able to outraise us. But we really feel stronger that we have, uh, like we said. Oil company executives aren't going to be spending their, you know, Saturday afternoons knocking on doors in King exactly. County. Yeah, they I hear you. We don't have a ground game. And yeah. we know we can always outmaneuver them in that sense. You know, they're going to be flooding the airwaves. Uh, but we feel pretty strong and we know their game plan. We've yeah. seen what they've done in California before. We've seen what they've tried to do uh, in states like Oregon battling against their, yeah. uh, the great initiative they've passed there. So. Um, we feel pretty strong and we know what they're going to try and do. Uh, Nick, where can people find out more? Yeah, if you go to yes, uh, Y-E-S on 1631-1631.org, uh, you can find out more about what we're trying to do. And uh, if you're in Washington, be able to get involved. And for folks around the country um, that want to support something like this, that's the best place to go. Nick, thanks a lot for what you're doing. It, it gives a little bit of hope for people who are looking at not only Supreme Court justice they're not rooting for, but things they might want to watch. In a good way. Absolutely. Appreciate your time. Yeah, we appreciate it. Donald, you have been waiting the most patiently on WCPT, Ain't Afraid of Me, Aurora, Illinois, Supreme Court Justices, speak your piece. Yes, it's about the Supreme Court Justices that I'm really fed up with because I've been listening to them for years. I remember what some of the stuff they're supposed to be working together as a non a, 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 a nonpartisan group. They're supposed to be voting on things amongst themselves. This is the way I thought or I understood them correctly, but they don't. They are nothing but politicians in black robes. That is, they always seem to cater. They always seem to be appointed uh, by the part. They they actually work for the party that, that that appointed them. It seems to be more and more that way, and it shouldn't be that way. And not only that, there too. This business of having a a job to you hit the gravesite is a lot of nonsense. We shouldn't. We don't have that. There should be term limits on them and age limits, either seven, 70 years old and 20 years, whichever comes first. And then whenever those two uh, uh, goals are hit, out they go. This Because now we get Supreme Court justices that can hold this country hostage uh, by one single party for a generation or more. This has got to stop. I appreciate the I appreciate the call. My. Uh... Uh, the, it makes me think of a couple things. So I think it was Rick Perry. Was it Rick Perry who uh, proposed that Supreme Court terms go uh, only, uh, go 18 years so a president would have a more predictable number of vacancies each time? Given lifespans now, Supreme Court justices live longer and give they're so, more, so much more obviously partisan and there's been the big sort in political parties so political parties are more obvious now. You make a stronger argument. This is the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for watching. Thanks for helping. Thanks for supporting the sponsors that make it possible. Thank you to the staff who put it on. Thank you to Tom, who's away today. And thanks for inviting me. All right, Zach, Free Speech TV, speak your piece. Good morning, Jeff. What's up, man? Uh, it's too bad we don't have 500 
let me say it again, 500 radio stations to tell people, which is us, not the left, but this vast truth center, to stop voting for the inheriting class because they're going to cheat you every time. The same terms mean different things to progressives and conservatives. When progressives use the term the American people, for instance, uh, they're referring to we, the people, the working class person who just wants to play by the rules and get a fair shake. I call them the fair shakers. When conservatives refer to the American people, they're referring to a tiny base of business and advertising executives. They got their start with daddy's grub steak, and I call them the gougers. They keep propelling nepotism and partisan fights at the expense of democracy. And just know both sides don't do it. It's the inheriting class doing it. And you know? a- 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 amen. And it underscores the thing I've been trying to say here, which is not to see the debate as one that's right versus left, but see as democracy versus property. I like your phrase, the, inherit- the inheriting class. The, uh, and, and by the way, there ain't no such thing as a death tax. The Almighty God takes every penny away from all of us at death. There is inheritance tax. There is a, an estate tax. And there's a rich kid's tax. But there's no such thing as a death tax. Michael, listening on Progress Radio, what do you have to say? Oh, hello. Um- few moments ago you brought up about love thy neighbor or love your neighbor yeah and why do you why you liberal democrats do not love we conservatives i will tell you i will tell you it is uh, that i think i can genuinely say that i do and even at this moment uh, michael i love you and and i can also say that and, and i say this as someone whose grandfather whose almost my entire father's side and mother's side of the family, absent my mother and father, are die-in-the-wool conservatives. Ronald Reagan was on my grandfather's mantle. Not Ronald Reagan as the human being, but a picture of him signed. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, 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 and was my dear friend. I, I, but what I hate is oppression. I don't think all conservatives are oppressive, but I do think there is a line of thinking that is wielding power that harms other people and that we have to fight against that thing. But I do think we have to separate the people from the problem. We have to be soft on the people and hard on the problem. And the problem is anti-democracy. The problem is pro-property, anti-humanity. The problem is oppression. We've got to be hard on those problems. We've got to love people as best we can. Where am I stupid? Uh-huh. No, I think you're correct in that. I just, you know, when I listen to your the radio station throughout the day, because I listen to both Patriot and your station and MSNBC and Fox, I just feel that there's a lot of on your uh, dial there, a lot of your hosts. Which state? Which really, which which really, which station? Which station is that? I. Uh, the, the, the Stephanie Miller show in the morning. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's I. I the, that's very anti anti Trump, anti conservative, anti Republican. I, I just think it's a crazy. Ch- I listen because I laugh at what they say. Yeah. About us. And I, and I and I and I will say. There is anger, and I think there is legitimate anger. And I'm not going to I'm not going to spend most of my time critiquing someone whose policies I agree with most of the time. But I yeah. will say, speaking for me, that I hope to be as strident as I can about values mm-hmm. and about objectives, and I also to be hope to be as human as I can when interacting with human beings. Okay, that's fine. That's a good answer. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. I want to say thanks to everybody. You are priceless. Definition of priceless: worth a lot, not for sale. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.